Professor Allen's Comics Reading Journal for the month of February 2021. Welcome to episode 69 of this podcast series, aka Self Quarantine Journal number 12. That's right, we're getting very close to it being one year since this whole rigmarole started. I was going to say that it was a year since I got my last haircut, but my family finally talked me into one just a few weeks ago. So I am no longer the wild-haired professor I had been, and I was kind of liking that look. Oh well. Nonetheless, <laughs> the concept of this show is for us to have a brief chat about what comics I've read since the last time we had one of these brief chats, which should make this pretty much the comic books I read during February. These books are listed weekly in blog posts at eyesandearsblog.blogspot.com, and I regularly repost them on my Facebook and Twitter, so you can find those. But those posts are not exactly spoilers for this concept for this podcast, since those are just lists. And here, you get a little more review, a little more critique, and a little more discussion. But first, you get a little feedback. Sir Iowa's Joe Crawford said he liked the sound of action-packed, which was how I described last episode. <laughs> Dr. Ange wrote in to express his approval of one of the series I read last month. I am a sucker for 70s DC sword and sorcery. So I'm thrilled that you got to read one of my faves, Stalker. That's a great series. So great. I reviewed multiple issues in depth over on Diablo Frank's DC Bloodlines blog. And as I did there, I will highly, highly recommend the Gail Simone Wonder Woman arc titled Ends of the Earth, which has Diana interacting with Stalker, Claw the Unconquered, and Beowulf. That's great, and I was so glad that I saw those Stalker books on the app, fingers crossed, that eventually uh, Beowulf will appear there and maybe even Claw. I have read a little bit of Claw, but not, not nearly the whole run. Sir Luke Giaconetti also commented on last episode, also touching on those fantasy Bronze Age books. Professor, comics reading journal is always a treat for me because I know that outside of some seasonal reading, I'll always be surprised by what you read on a month-to-month -month basis, and this episode was no exception. The title which stood out to me this month was DC's Stalker, which was part of a little wave of sword and sorcery adventure-style books which DC tried at the time. The most well-known and only really successful title from the group was Warlord, which was a staple at DC for many years. However, the other books are creative and well worth checking out. Other titles included Tor, Joe Kubert's caveman character, which has been seen at other publishers, Claw the Unconquered, Kong the Untamed, and Justice Incorporated with the pulp hero The Avenger. And of course, the greatest of all these short-lived titles was Beowulf by Michael Uslan and Ricardo Villamonte. Both Dr. Ange and I are big supporters of this series and have espoused it 
over the years. I've gone on record many times that buying all six issues of Beowulf at Heroes Con is the best $5 I've ever spent on comics. Anyone who likes sword and sorcery comics needs to check that series out. I'm working on a collection of these short series with full runs of Beowulf and Tor and a smattering of issues from the other titles. They do not pop up that often due to their scarcity, but I believe any listeners who enjoy that type of book would really dig DC's attempts to capture a bit of Marvel Bronze Age sword and sorcery magic. As always, looking forward to the next episode. Thank you, Luke. Always good to hear from you. And social media support for last episode came from Kirk Spencer, Big Five Army, Drew from Comics for Fun and Profit, Chris from Professor Frenzy, it's a show, Chris Lydon, Robert Ludwig, the most sane man among us, Randy Watts, Ed Moore from Teal Productions, Derek William Crabb from the History of Comics on Film YouTube series, Vic and Phoenix, James Williams, Clinton from Fan Film Fridays, and a potential new podcast focusing perhaps on some of those sword and sorcery books that we've previously mentioned. At least that's the rumor I hear. Tim Price from The Outcaster Show, Manuel Carmona from Truthful Comics and Project New Wave, and our reigning listeners of the year, The Sutherlands from the Rad Adventures Network. And now on to the books I read last month, as I do on this show. I'm going to categorize the books that I read. And first are the issues that I read specifically for podcast appearances, the homework books. And for Quarterbin 165, I read the Shatter special from First Comics, direct from the 1980s. And for an upcoming March podcast crossover event, in which Doom Speak is participating, because Dr. Doom is participating. Nay, he is dominating, said event. And for that, I read The Punisher, 28 and 29. And comics I read for listening to podcasts, with most of this reading done via the DC Infinite app. And to listen to episode 47 of the Wonder Woman Warrior for Peace podcast, episode 40, hosted by Angela, I went very old school and read Comic Cavalcade number 7 from all the way back in 1940. I didn't just stop with the Wonder Woman story, though. This issue also had an Edda Candy solo story, along with Mutt and Jeff one-page gag strips a Green Lantern story, and other examples of Golden Age goodness. And to listen along with episode 92 of the Legion Clubhouse, I read the extra-sized Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes 239 and 240, which included a pretty great murder mystery and an okay origin of Dawnstar and her people. And to listen to Batman Nightcast 53, I read Detective Comics 402, a classic, the classic man or bat, man bat story, and Batman 453 from the Dark Knight, Dark City storyline. And for listening along with Tim Price, the pod crasher on his new Outcaster show, which he does with Ashford, 
For episode six, I read Batman and the Outsiders, number six, from 1983, featuring the team going up against the Cryonic Man. And to listen along with Laurel, a.k.a. Mountain Flower and her crew, on episode 46 of the Huntress podcast, I read the Justice Society story from Adventure Comics 464. Actually, I read the whole issue, and the Dead Man story was pretty darn good, too. On to new comics that we read right off the shelves. And we do indeed have one, but I'm going to talk about it later in a different section of the podcast. But I do have a couple that are pretty close, only a few months late. So I'm counting them here. These two came courtesy of Gene Hendricks from the soon-to-be-coming-back-from-the-dead Quantum Cast. Iron Man 1 and 2. This is the book that hashtag Big Comic forced Christopher Cantwell to write after his dangerous writing of the epic Doctor Doom ongoing. And of course, here, it's a struggle. He has a much less compelling and exciting lead character. But look, the guy's a pretty good writer. He does his best to make Tony Stark's lackey as interesting as can be. Actually, the relationship that Tony has here with Patsy Walker Hellcat, the scenes of them chatting on rooftops, very reminiscent of Doom and Kang in the early Doctor Doom issues. Interesting start, and like I told Iron Man's best friend on the internet, Luke Giaconetti, I hope Cantwell writes his character as well as he wrote mine, and at least from this outsider perspective, this seemed like a pretty solid start. And on to the general comic reading that I did. Manuel Carmona sent a care package recently full of cheap comics, the best kind of comics, including King Thor, number four from last year, written by Jason Aaron, in what seems to be the last issue of the entire Aaron run on Thor. So it is an important book in that context. The action is good, and it does come to a definitive end. There is a the end at the end. And then Aaron has a long text piece in the back talking about his time with the character. I've certainly not read all of the run by any means, but I have dropped in many times over the years and found Aaron's work on Thor to be impressive, to be interesting. He took the character and the greater Thor family in new directions, and I think he really made a mark on the character. It's too early to tell at this point, but I would not be surprised if after some years this run gets talked about as one of the highlights for Thor. I appeared years ago on a podcast with Blaine Dowler and Ed Moore when the first few arcs of Aaron's run appeared on the top 75 Marvels ever countdown. And I made the prediction back then that Aaron's run could be considered quite iconic for the character. And I, and I, I think, from what I can tell, again, as an outsider, if you will, to Thor fandom, that the run that Jason Aaron has shown has a shot to be counted among the great Thor writers. And from the combination of Manuel and Jeremiah Jones Goldstein, the notorious JJG from the blog comics, comics, comics.blog. 
I read Arak, Son of Thunder, 22 and 32. This is a series I did not read when it was coming out. And I've poked away at it here and there, just sort of random issues throughout the run. It's solid Roy Thomas work. Think of it as a little bit Prince Valiant or Viking Prince with enough strange shenanigans to include a Native American lead. Plenty of solid fantasy elements, royalties, and quests, and battles. But then there's some weird sci-fi elements in there as well. And at the end of issue 32, we even get a dramatic death of a major character. I'm not going to say these are great issues. I wouldn't go that far. But they're definitely pretty good. Tom Panarese, as part of his uncollecting process, sent me some stuff, including Team America Number 1, a book that I can totally understand someone wanting to remove from their collection. I get picky when things I know a little bit about get the shorthand treatment in comics. This most often happens with finance and corporate and stock market stuff, but it also applies to sports-related things. And the sports-related aspect of this race team and their origin makes no sense. Let's just say that for realism. I'll take US1 over Team America every time. That big fan hole, Derek Krabs in a care package a while back, which included JLA Year One Number 2 from 1998. The team of Mark Wade and Brian Augustine telling stories from the early days of the Justice League. They actually name themselves that in this issue. Wade is good, of course, and the scripting is good, but I don't love the late 1990s versions of these characters. Good action, though. And Brave and the Bold 179 featuring the Legion of Superheroes in a timey-wimey adventure. Batman ends up in the 30th century trying to solve the crime he was investigating in the 20th century. It's tough to team up one character with a team, especially such a large team as the Legion, because Batman almost gets overwhelmed by the sheer number of Legionnaires that have scenes and have parts and have a role in the story. But that said, for 1981, this is not a bad DC story. And Star Trek, The Next Generation, number six, from 1990, when DC had the license. This was written by Jan Michael Friedman, who wrote a ton in the Star Trek world. Uh, This issue wraps up an emotional story of alien refugees aboard the Enterprise, who the longer they stay, the more danger they bring to the crew and also to themselves. And poor Geordi. Well, it's sad. I'll just say that. And got a nice care package recently from Gene Gene, the podcasting machine, Hendrix, which included some fairly recent books, such as House of X 1 and 2. I've been catching up on the X Lapsed podcast, where Christian is going over on a daily basis the Hox Pox era and extended X-Men era. So I knew a little bit of what to expect from these and was not disappointed. It's an interesting concept, the island of Krakoa, as a separate nation, as a homeland for mutants. But there's so much backstory to these characters that even a simple-sounding storyline can get complicated because of the relationships 
and character issues. I don't expect to deep dive into this particular series, but I did enjoy those two issues. Dr. Ange sent me some comics a while back, including The Eaters, number one. It was Vertigo, and that could be interesting. And it was written by Peter Milligan, so it'll probably be weird. And it featured a cannibal family? No, not for me. And from the world's greatest comics, Black Friday weekend sale, books that cost me, are you ready? 10 cents each. I read The Punisher 25 and 26, and I realized that in a very piecemeal fashion, I've read a lot of Mike Barron's run on The Punisher, and it's been consistent and consistently strong. Issue 25 wrapped up the Ninja Training School storyline, and then 26 took on government waste and cost-cutting in the defense industry. And those were situations that did not make Frank happy. And a Frank who is not happy is not a Frank that you want to meet. And then moving to the totally other end of the spectrum, some kids' books that I read, mostly from Sir Rob's Care Package, and also a few from Pulp Reality, and actually a few from Hoopla as well. I read Archie. 150, 277, 448, and 647. Richie Rich Gold and Silver, 13. Archie Weird Mysteries, 19. Futurama, 13 and 18. And Uncle Scrooge, 202, 212, and 226. Futurama comics, not bad at all. And Uncle Scrooge, of course, epic. And a personal finance inspiration to us all. And now with Archie, often the older books are the best, but issue 647 from 2013 is pretty good as it sends Archie into Mirrordale. Yes, alternate universe opposites are a very, very, very common trope, of course, but Archie did it pretty well. He entered the Hall of Mirrors at an amusement park, and then shenanigans ensued. It was a fun, full-length story, full of comic and sci-fi references, and a pretty solid story overall. All right, let's take a break here, and when we come back, we'll talk about graphic novels, trade paperbacks, and long runs that I read in February. The Merry Marvel Marching Society. We don't know where we're going, but we're on the way. A podcasting crossover mega event in the spirit of JL May. Coming in March 2021. Covering Marvel's fall crossover event, Axe of Vengeance. A cabal of evil threatens the Avengers and the entire Marvel Universe. Doctor Doom, the Red Skull, Kingpin, Doctor Doom, Magneto, the Wizard, Doctor Doom, the Mandarin, and Doctor Doom have banded together to pit Earth's mightiest heroes against foes they have never faced before. An array of heroes face enemies they are totally unfamiliar with. But who is secretly pulling the vengeful cabal strings? And can the Avengers take down the true mastermind before his hidden scheme succeeds? Featuring podcasts from 
Third Degree Burn, Back to the Bins, Avenger Spotlight, Coffee and Comics, Comic Book Time Machine, Doom Speak, Fan Holes Podcast, Fire and Water Podcast Network, Head Speaks, Into the Weird, Justice Not Entirely Dissimilar to Lightning, a Thunderbolts Podcast, Longbox Crusade, Married with Comics, The Quantum Cast, Resurrections, an Adam Warlock podcast, Rolled Spine Podcasts, and Views from the Longbox. Marching its way to your favorite podcatchers and hosting sites in 2021. Act of Vengeance, a true story. And we're back to talk about trades, long runs, and mini-series that I read last month. And as you know, we've made it a habit around here to do what we call seasonal reading. We're based on the calendar. We read a bunch of comics from a specific related genre. Now, in the past, that's happened towards the end of the year with horror comics. In October, war comics. In November, and Christmas and holiday reading in December. And I certainly do anticipate revisiting those months, doing some seasonal reading, but I am adding two months here in 2021, along with some of my internet comic book reading buddies. And the first one is here in February, the month of Valentine's Day. Me and Luke, Jack, and Eddie and a handful of others decided to hashtag read romance comics. And here, presented in alphabetical order, are the ones I read last month. Action Comics number 71 from way back in the day. The DCU app has some of the very old action comics on it, but within those, it only has the Superman story, so that is all that I read here. A 13-page Valentine's Day-themed issue. We start with both Jimmy and Clark having their own Valentine's-related issues, and it just gets wackier from there. All Romances 1 through 3 from Ace Magazine Publishers in the early 50s. These are books that are now in the public domain. There were not any real surprises in these issues in terms of, of where they went. Now, there was a twist here or there, but pretty much every story ended, spoilers, with a marriage proposal. But that is what makes a genre a genre, the consistent, predictable features of stories within that genre. Angel Love, number one, a very strange comic book from 1986, in which our heroine, Angel Love, laments her lack of a love life, finds a potential boyfriend, who then takes her to a drug-fueled party because 1980s, although the references to Studio 54 make it uh, maybe because 70s, because comics are often about 10 years out of date with the cultural zeitgeist. Very strange comic book. Archie, 656. Reggie might have actually found true love in the person of Veronica's cousin, Harper. This was her introduction, Harper, and as a person in a wheelchair, 
the first ongoing character with a disability in that series. Girls Love Stories 163 and 177 from DC Comics. Pretty standard, predictable uh, stuff with one exception. There was a story about a young woman whose parents were divorced and thus never thought she could trust herself in a serious relationship. And for 1971, I imagine that was a unique, certainly unusual, but also important message for a good chunk of the reader base for that comic. And I Love You, 120, courtesy of Mike Peacock, from 1976, from Charlton. I think that says enough. Uh, predictable story, simple art, and happy endings. But you know, sometimes that's all you need. And after 11 months of having wild man hair during the lockdown era, my family decided that it was time to get it cut. So I accompanied M to their preferred stylist up near where I went to college. And after that, we went to the local hipster shop, you know, the place that has fancy soda pops and craft beers. And while we were getting our cream sodas, M saw that the local comic shop has supplied the hipster store with a spinner rack with some new comics on it. And we saw one that caught our eyes, both because it was from one of our favorite teams and also because it had two members smooching on the cover. Perfect timing for a February release. Good work, DC Comics. So I bought right off the spinner rack Legion of Superheroes number 10 in which Saturn Girl and John Kent Superboy get all romantic. And there were fights and dramas and other stuff, but for this segment, for the seasonal reading part of the show, the romantic kissing part of the issue is what matters, and it wasn't bad at all. Now, I've mentioned before that I once had dinner with Paul Cornell. But he is not the only comics creator that I've shared a meal with, because I've also eaten with Tom Zoller. And weirdly enough, the irredeemable shag was involved in both of those meals, which sort of make them less special. But he's not the memorable part of this story. So after that meal together, about a year or so later, I saw Tom at his table at Heroes Con, and from there, I picked up and read the first trade of one of his excellent series, and then picked up the second trade as well. So I ended up reading Love and Capes, 1 through 12. And this is the classic story of the hero and his girlfriend exploring every possible trope involved in that setup. And just about every other trope in comics as well. You have superpowered exes supervillain rivals, and time travel shenanigans. But the series is light, funny, romantic, a love story in its truest sense. Very, very enjoyable. There are issues in trades beyond this, and I heartily recommend them, and maybe next February I will revisit the series. These issues, these first 12, took me up through the spoilers, the wedding, Again, wonderful series written and drawn by a pretty solid fellow. Mysteries of Love in Space, an oversized collection of mostly new 
DC stories that combine romance and sci-fi. But they were all a little odd in their own way, and none really jumped out at me except, of course, Space Cabbie and a couple of Hawk Girl's girlfriends reminding her that friendship is also worth celebrating on Valentine's Day. But the one reprint, a Gardner Fox and Mike Sikowski story of Adam Strange and Alana, that was probably my favorite. Pep Digital, 38, 130, 131, and 176. These are mostly love-themed collections with titles such as Archie's Sweethearts, Love is Blind, and Reggie, the Riverdale Casanova. Obviously, Betty and Veronica are featured story elements in a lot of these, but we also have romances between Moose and Midge, Reggie and Every Girl in Riverdale, and even Jughead. Uh, my favorite story uh, among all these collections was probably the one that featured Cupid and how hard his life is having to fire Archie's arrows equally between Betty and Veronica. He has to keep a running tab of which of the girls he's most recently fired his arrow at. Uh, that, that story also features a very lazy Cupid, and that's Cheryl Blossom's Cupid, because he doesn't have to work all that hard at all to make all the boys fall in love with her. Superman, number 12 from the John Byrne era. This is his retelling of one of my all-time favorite romance stories. My version, and I'm not kidding, of Superman's OTP, my favorite of all the LLs. This is the story of Lori Lamaris. It's a great take on an even greater original story. And I know that this is the 30s to the 70s effect, having read that original story scores and scores of times in the big hardcover collection that I got when I was, what, eight years old or so, Superman, from the 30s to the 70s. I loved this couple back then, and I still do. Good work, John Byrne. Young Heroes in Love, one through five. I've known of this series a long time, but I've never read any of it until now. It's mostly just the downtime parts of a new team of new heroes. Major focus on the soap opera stuff and the drama and the romance. Young Monsters in Love, another anthology book. This, this one featuring, well, Monsters in Love. It's a swamp thing, Dead Man, the Creature Commandos, and others. And, of course, a talking monkey because DC. And not even my favorite talking monkey. Not even one that I really like all that much. This is Monsieur Mala. But he really got it done here. And a nice story that also included Maggie Sawyer. But I think probably I like the Andrew Bennett I Vampire story the most. Young Romance, 148, 1967, complete with go-go checks. And three stories that all end with smooching. Not every beginning or middle was great in these. And they were all pretty predictable. But they weren't bad either. And then the same title, but different eras, Young Romance 4 and 5, and then also 80 and 85, from the late 40s and then into the 50s. I came across some of these short stories in the Jack Kirby and Joe Simon collection, and then went to the public domain uh, sites to read the rest of, of, of those issues. And that was valuable 
for the compare and contrast to see just how different the work of Simon and Kirby was, what they were doing in the romance genre compared to everybody else. The drama, the twists, uh, the, just the nature of the stories, really strong. There was a story from the late 40s where a soldier fell in love with a woman in Germany, but her admission of where she stood during the war under the Nazi regime was a deal breaker for him. And then even in the postcode era, they still managed to tell intriguing stories, stories that were just better than the stories that surrounded them in those issues. Kirby's art, of course, his ability to draw real-life people in a variety of shapes and sizes and postures and attitudes, just wonderful reads. And lastly, the DC Digital Collection Young Romance New 52 Valentine's Day Special. There were some odd bits in the New 52, things that didn't exist much beforehand and don't exist much after. Uh, so a few bits of this, such as Wonder Woman and Superman dating, represent sort of a lost era in comics, although an era that turned out to be quite short. And that is all of my kissing books. There were some similarities, of course. That's part of, again, what makes a genre a genre. But it was a fun month of experimenting and reading. Uh, in terms of themed monthly reading, next on the schedule is July, the month that contains National Cowboy Day, which will also be hashtag Western Comics Month, another genre that I'm looking forward to diving into. I have a handful of books here that Kirk Spencer sent me, all of them as a Kickstarter uh, books or rewards for projects that he's backed, which is one of his favorite ways of getting new comics. So here are my quick thoughts on those. Damsel from Distress, number one, was probably my favorite of these. We start with an almost knight trying to rescue a princess, but she is in fact not a princess, and he is actually not much of a knight. The good thing is, she is from the interdimensional agency D-I-S-T-R-E-S-S, -S, Distress, which she does not choose to explain uh, the initials for, which was another benefit I really dug. That, that made me laugh. It's really enjoyable and intriguing. Solid, solid comic book work. Once in Future Queen was a modern take on Arthurian legend, putting it in a current day with a female-led cast. Nothing too dramatic or original in there, but I am a sucker for Arthurian stories, whether they are original or not. Simone and Ajax, another absolutely delightful couple of stories. Andrew Peepoy drawing and writing it. You have our adorable, adventurous heroine Simone, who along with her small dinosaur friend has many, many wild adventures. The stories are not connected by plot continuity. I think it just might be based on what setting Peepoy wants to place his heroine in, and maybe what costumes he wants to lovingly draw her in. We have a story on a pirate ship, a story in the Old West. Beautiful art and fun, wonderful stories. This was another, another favorite. Tales of the Dark Tunnel, number one, is another entrant in the growing genre of reimagined 1940s characters from the public domain. 
In this issue, we've got Adaman, Flame Girl, and Magno from Spark Comics, Fox Features, and Ace Publishing, respectively. And when you're doing one of these types of comics, you have a choice to make. Do you set it in the original time period, or do you modernize it or place it somewhere in between? Uh, this one was smart. It evaded that issue by pulling the three characters from their own worlds to a new one to face a sci-fi villain in a pretty fun, pulpish lead story. Out of respect for M's latest time suck of a video game, I read Dragon Age 1 through 3. I have not played the game. Oh, but I've heard M talk about it plenty. And this seems like a good enough bit of capturing that world. In this series, you've got a king looking for his missing father. You've got a sorceress. And even, of course, a dragon. What else could you ask for in a fantasy tie-in? comic. For my combination of listeners, I read a trio of adventures from, well, Adventure Comics, issues 329, 423, and 442. You have a Legion story, so that sounds good, except it features the Bizarro Legion, and Bizarro is a DC concept I just don't like. I just can't. Talking monkeys? Well, of course, that makes perfect sense. Hello, but bizarros? Not for me. We also have issues here starring Supergirl and Aquaman, and the Supergirl one is better about aliens and mind control glasses. I hope Ange approves of that description. The Aquaman story was pretty bland, but it did have a solid vigilante backup. Hello, Ranger Gord. And from the combination of Luke Giaconetti and Half Price books, I read some amazing issues from the early 90s. Amazing Spider-Man, 342, 343, and 367. These are all written by Dave Michelinie. Two of these were from his Powerless era, and those ones involved the Black Cat, who Mary Jane was not happy to see become involved in the stories. But I'll be honest, I like Felicia. I like the drama that she always adds to Spider-Man's life and Spider-Man's comics. And a series from Hoopla that I read based on positive comments from Sir Luke. Continuing on from a, a run of issues I read last month. This month it was Iron Man 2020, 1 through 6. The Adventures of Arno Stark in the Troublesome Year of 2020. I mean, at least they got that part of the story, right? Uh, this was a good story, continuing the AI versus humanity versus robots story. Arno knows that a major alien invasion is going to happen, and happens soon, but like Cassandra, everyone is busy with their own fights, too busy to pay attention to his warnings. Good stuff with action, adventure, and questions about humanity. There were a number of bonus borrows on Hoopla in February. These are items that don't count against the regular borrowing uh, monthly uh, allocation or, or uh, limitation. Uh, there were a lot of boom number one issues here, and I use that as an excuse to test out a few series, uh, two in particular written by James Tynan IV. I read Wind 
number one, that's W-Y-N-D. It starts off with a standard medieval type of fantasy world, a young protagonist. But there really wasn't enough happening in issue one to push me to move forward. As opposed to, on the other hand, the series that was so good I immediately got the first couple of trades and even a few more issues to get caught up with Something is Killing the Children, 1 through 14. I have heard good things about this title, probably from the Professor Frenzy It's a Show. And boy, is this good. You have, as the name implies, an evil force that is killing children in a small town and a specialist in dealing with these things. A tough chick, Erica Slaughter, arrives in town to deal with it. And we learn that this is not the first place that something has killed the children. We learn that Erica is affiliated with a secret society of monster hunters. And as much as local law enforcement doesn't like her poking around, her own people aren't too wild with her exploits either. Lots of potential for drama. Also, this secret society wears scary face masks. So imagine that there are themed COVID masks out there for sale. Just guessing. Just guessing. This brings me up to date on the title, and I certainly plan to read some more of this series as the year goes by. Good on you, Mr. Tynan. And from the 50-cent boxes at Pulp Reality, I picked up an entire run of an Eclipse series, Scout, War Shaman 1-16. through Very nice guy Tim Truman wrote and drew the series, which takes place in one of my favorite eras, the past future. This is the post-apocalyptic world of 2015. Only off by five years, actually, Mr. Truman. So, not bad, actually. We have Scout, our hero, a man of Native American heritage and U.S. military experience, finding his way through the various badlands and gang warfares and political beefs of this era, just trying to keep his two kids safe. Good stories. And the setting allows him to mix some modern technology and transportation with a dusty Western setting, allowing him to explore Native stories and to, to walk in that world as well. There's some cool backups in these issues, including an illustrated story that was spread over seven issues. And then in the back of issue 11, Truman gives us two pages of his sources, his bibliography of uh, resources he used to learn about Apache and Navajo and other Native uh, cultures and, 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 and histories. So I appreciate how seriously he took the topic, how seriously he approached it, and I can only wonder how this would be taken here 30-plus years later. But for when it was written and how it was written, thoroughly uh, enjoyed it. Uh, this is one of the series that I had most dabbled in back in the day when I was reading The Independence, but I never jumped into it. But when I saw the whole run of these at the very acceptable price of 50 cents each, I dove right in. And I'm glad I did. Excellent writing, excellent drama, excitement, solid characterization, overall an excellent series. Now these were originally priced at $1.95, but to save the $1.45 per issue and read these for 50 cents, all I had to do was wait for like three decades. And let that be a lesson. Delayed gratification, the secret 
to a joyous life. A few months ago, a podcasting colleague Herman Lowe started the sci-fi comics podcast Strontium Pod, named after Strontium Dog, the longtime 2000 AD feature. I've heard a few 2000 ADs, but I don't have specific recollection of that character, of that story. But when I was at Pulp Reality recently and saw the entirety of the 1985 miniseries Strontium Dog 1 through 4, I knew I had to pick it up. We get the whole origin story of Johnny Alpha, the mutant son of the leading anti mutant government official, and the war that followed, and how he became a leading bounty hunter in the aftermath. Very good sci fi comics. Excellent story. Excellent character. Definitely a worthwhile pickup. And from the combination of the super sale at my LCS, World's Greatest Comics, and the generous Canadian Sir Rob Lance, I read some Bronze Age goodness, Action Comics 413 and 475. 413 had Brainiac and Luther working together, using the disguise of a voodoo expert to take away Superman's powers. It's a little convoluted, although the backups with Eclipso and Metamorpho helped round out that issue nicely. 475 featured not just one of the great Bronze Age creations, but two of the great Bronze Age creations, Vartox and Carbrack. So I know it's a reference from the other company, but enough said. Also from Hoopla, I read uh, some more of a series I've been poking away at, Star Trek New Visions, 18 through 21. These are the photo novels from John Byrne, and more of these that I read, the more comfortable I have become reading them. And maybe John Byrne was getting more comfortable putting these together. We have a cool story about a water-based life form with the capability of flooding the Enterprise, which is a cool sci-fi visual I don't know that I've seen before. The flooded spaceship. There's also a story that brings back, in a manner of speaking, some old friends and enemies, including Edith Keeler. There was a short backup story in one of the issues that told a story from the era of the original pilot, the crew from the cage. Very interesting story, very interesting series. And, and like I said, it took me a while to get into these, but they were certainly worth that effort. And I think that's everything. In terms of my favorite reads of the month, The Damsel from Distress was a fun romp. Love and Capes, Rocks. Superman's Mermaid Girlfriend, Hello. Something is Killing the Children. That was very close to the top of the pile. But in terms of what I thought was my favorite, because this is a theme month, probably should go with a kissing book. And the best of those, well, the best individual story at least, was Fraulein Sweetheart from Simon and Kirby from 1948, that post-war Germany story. A story that was so compelling that it made Young Romance number four my favorite read of the month. If you have any thoughts about any of the comics I've mentioned in this episode, or specific thoughts on romance comics as well, I'd love to hear from you. You can send that feedback via email, relativelygeeky at gmail.com, or as a comment on the Facebook and blog post for this episode. The blog is at 
relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com. You can follow the network on Twitter at relatively underscore geek. And of course, the network has its own page on Facebook as well. Come join us. All are welcome. Thanks for listening. And keep the pages turning.